there, fitness enthusiasts and goal getters. Welcome to the 8020 Podcast, where we believe in breaking down the science of health and fitness while keeping it 20% lighthearted and fun. I'm your host, Coach Haley, the founder of Unstressed Athletics, a personal trainer, paramedic, and firefighter. In this podcast, we're going to explore the 80%, the hard facts, the science-backed strategies, and the proven methods that lead to success in health, fitness, and achieving your goals. But hey, we're not all about serious business here. We've reserved a solid 20% for the lighter side of things. Fun anecdotes, quirky stories, and maybe a few fitness jokes thrown in for good measure. Each week, I'm bringing in the experts, those who've mastered the art of healthy living, crushed their fitness goals, and have the knowledge to prove it. We're talking nutrition gurus, fitness pros, and goal-setting champions. Whether you're a seasoned gym goer or just getting started on your fitness journey, the 8020 Podcast has something for everyone. So join me every week as we unpack the 80%, have a laugh with the 20%, and collectively work towards a healthier, happier version of ourselves. Get ready to discover the perfect balance between science and smiles. This is the 8020 Podcast. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the 8020. Uh, we do have Courtney Von Wackerbarth here. Uh, she is, has her Bachelor of Science. She also has her Master's in Physio from the University of Alberta, and she is a pelvic floor health specialist. Uh, she works at Optimized Physio and Sports Injury Clinic. Is that everything about you, Courtney, that you want known to the world? <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. That's one of my one of my specialties that I love to work with. Perfect. Uh, what got you into pelvic floor health initially, or I guess physio in general? Uh, yeah, I got I guess sort of unique question or sorry answers to both of those. Um, I actually had a pretty significant back injury that turned into a long-standing thing when I was 18 and it was my physio actually who figured it out um, that I have a rare autoimmune condition and through sort of spending months of uh, like going between different healthcare providers and not really getting answers and then getting to build a relationship with a physio who I saw a couple times a week for about a half hour each time and then her through getting to know me a little bit better and to get that intimate knowledge of what was going on with me, her figuring out the answer. Um, I always knew I wanted to go into healthcare, but after that experience, I was like, oh yeah, physio is really great. You get to spend a lot of time with people and get some of those answers that might not be clear at first glance. And then for pelvic floor, um, in school, I remember just hearing a couple things about like, once you have a baby, you can never do core work and a couple things that just didn't quite sit right for me as somebody who's a female who may consider having children at one point. And you see all of these CrossFit athletes and Olympians who are doing incredible things after also achieving motherhood. And so that kind of sent me down the path of exploring a little bit more about um, public health and also how we can do better for people who want to also be athletic for the rest of their life, whether or not um, motherhood is a part of that journey. Awesome. Uh, did you play any sports or anything? I know you work at a sports clinic or that's just kind of an interest with you. Um, I did grow up figure skating and dancing competitively. So depending on who you ask, I like to think it's a sport. <laughs> Definitely. Um, it is kind of more of a trending thing now with pelvic floor health. So I think that's very nice to see. Um, I know one of my friends is going through pregnancy right now and she's a firefighter and I consider myself quite active. I do powerlifting and everything like that. 
So it is something I think as a woman that you're thinking about a lot when you're considering motherhood, like you said, because uh, you don't want to be trading off doing CrossFit or powerlifting or your career um, because you're having some issues. Uh, can you maybe touch on some of the common uh, problems that people have with their pelvic floor? Absolutely. And I'd say that all of these problems and issues are super common, regardless of whether you're athletic or not. And um, it's really common for people to kind of just laugh it off and say like, oh, this is just part of being a woman, part of being a mother, um, things like leakage urine, um, even fecal leakage, pain with sex, um, and pelvic pain in general, all those things are sort of like, laughed off as like part of the experience. And they're super common, but they're definitely not normal and you don't have to deal with them. Awesome. Um, kind of going back to the beginning, I know men have pelvic floors as well. Um, can you describe the difference between male and female pelvic floors and maybe why women struggle more with pelvic floor health? So there's a couple of different pieces to this. And I've done most of my courses in female public health. So I'm definitely more uh, well-versed in that arena. Um, but one of the pieces that makes holding our continents a little bit easier for a male anatomy versus the female is the prostate, which allows for um, just more pressure against the system. And so that's why we see actually quite a lot of urinary incontinence in males who've had a prostatectomy after prostate cancer, because they don't have that um, pressure holding that system anymore. Whereas females don't have anything in their anatomy that sort of holds that there. And then there's different things during people's life that can affect that, especially on the female side. And not to say that men can't also have this. And there are a lot of very common things on the male public health side as well. Um, but things like for young females who've not gone through a motherhood journey, like um, sprinters are very uh, common to have leakage with sprinting because our deep hip muscles interface very closely with our public floor. And so any dysfunction or sometimes just tightness in those deep hip muscles can lead to tightness and dysfunction in the pelvic floor, which can lead to leakage as well. Yeah. So it is not just for moms and there is maybe some issues that men can um, go to seek help with as well. It's kind of nice Absolutely. that I know some of these things are a little bit more taboo to talk about. And so it's nice that it's kind of coming more out into the open with, I think people's more education and with women doing more career things, etc. Um, as far as like things people can do maybe before pregnancy, or is there any things that you would recommend people work into their daily routine in terms of pelvic floor health? Absolutely. And I mean, obviously I'm biased as a pelvic floor physio, but I would say that going to see a pelvic floor physio even before conceiving is a great place to kind of see where you're at. Because generally, depending on who you ask and depending on their level of education, a lot of people will say just do your Kegels and Kegels is referring to a isolated pelvic floor contraction. Um, and if you think about it, if you hurt your bicep or if you had a really tight bicep and then somebody told you to just do a hundred bicep curls to fix that problem, that likely wouldn't actually make your bicep feel better. That might shorten the muscle and actually made it tighter. And mm -hmm. so a lot of people think that most of these pelvic floor issues that we see result from a weak pelvic floor. But a lot of things that I see, especially in the athletic population, but also just females in general, is that their pelvic floor is also very tight. And so it's good to actually go see somebody to assess kind of where your pelvic floor is at so that you can have a plan tailored to you specifically, because you want to be doing things that are appropriate to you and not worsening any problem or any sort of tendency if you don't need to. 
And then a lot of people think that they want to have a strong pelvic floor for birth, which is great. And you want to have a strong pelvic floor in general because it's going to be challenged during pregnancy and recovering postpartum. But during the actual labor and delivery process, we actually want to be relaxing our pelvic floor to let baby through if it's a vaginal birth. And so learning to relax your pelvic floor is sometimes a little bit more abstract and difficult to wrap your mind around. Mm-hmm. But you want to make sure that you're getting the balance of both. And depending on where you're starting, you might need to focus on one more than the other. Okay. So if you have a tight pelvic floor, then are you like, how are you even wrapping your head around that or understanding? Like, what can you do to uh, make it not as like tense and tight, I guess? Yeah. So there's a couple of different things. So oftentimes when I'm working with somebody in clinic, um, we can do some internal work. And I always tell people the first reason that you wouldn't have an internal exam done is because you didn't want one. You don't have to explain that. And I'd say that's probably across the board for any pelvic floor physio. There are internal techniques and there are external techniques. And while we might be able to get more information via an internal technique, um, we definitely don't have to do one, especially if somebody has had trauma in their past or just plain they don't want one. Um, But there are some release techniques that we can do in clinic. And then if those work for somebody, then I'll often teach them how to replicate those for themselves, as well as different um, external releasing techniques and different stretches that can help to um, release the pelvic floor, as well as just kind of seeing what their core is doing and what their hips are doing, because sometimes what is going on there is affecting the pelvic floor as well. Totally. So it, it really comes down to your assessment. And it sounds like you um, yourself have tailored the way that you practice physio in a way that is a very detailed assessment. Is that fair to yeah, say? Yeah, I think that Absolutely. And I think that there's some basic stuff that kind of happens for every single person, but it depends again on somebody's goals and what they're hoping to do and sort of where they are in their journey. Totally. Um, And then just touching back to Kegels, um, all we hear about is Kegels, right? So is that kind of the primary and or only way to strengthen your pelvic floor? Or is there tons of different other things that aren't maybe as trending right now? So yeah, super interesting that you say that. So an isolated pelvic floor contraction where you're just using just the pelvic floor is sort of something that I like people to wrap their mind around just that they know what they're doing. And if you are trying to like, for example, hold your pee when you've got a sneeze in a full bladder, you want to be engaging your pelvic floor. But a lot of people cheat and they think that they're engaging their pelvic floor, but they also use their abs, their glutes, and they close their legs at the same time. And if you think about if you were engaging your abs at the same time as you're trying to engage your pelvic floor, you might actually be pushing on your bladder at the same time and making the job more difficult. So first off, like teaching a proper Kegel itself sometimes is an important part of the journey because some people are just making the job of the pelvic floor a little bit more difficult for themselves without knowing. Um, But also when we look at the research, which unfortunately is not as robust as I'd love it to be, but it's starting (laughs) to be done. It definitely, like I think public health in general is very under-researched and then on the female side even more so, but it's starting to become more researched, which is great. But in some of the studies that they're seeing now, when they look at people who are running, they're finding that the amount that our pelvic floor contracts is actually four times higher than what we can voluntarily contract at our strongest. So I find that it's a balance of, yes, there is some foundational work of trying to understand where our pelvic floor is and working on strength, coordination, and endurance of that by itself. But then for my people who want to run without leakage or want to do 100 double-unders without leakage or be able to power lift um, hundreds of pounds over their head, you actually have to get some return to impact drills going where we think about our pelvic floor a little bit more and then eventually uh, 
start to move into that. And sometimes it does have a little bit of symptom tolerance or acceptance where we're like, okay, like we're not going to do this maybe in a public space. We might have a little bit of leakage. We kind of have to see where we're at and we have to sort of bridge that gap between that foundational um, isolation of the pelvic floor and actually getting it back into the higher movements, which I think is something that is often missed. Um, so basically what you're saying is like, there's going to be some overlap between you running, let's say running is your thing that you're doing. You might have some days where you're going out there and you're not quite grasping it, but you really need to work through being in, let's say the clinic or for example, isolating into the movement of running. Is that good? Yeah. 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 I would say like we, we start with like focusing on just seeing like what your Kegel looks like. Um, what the strength coordination endurance looks like. Are there anything just there when we're just trying to isolate it itself that needs to be worked on? Are, are we relaxing our pelvic floor afterwards? Because we don't want the pelvic floor to be moving, or sorry, working when it doesn't need to be. And then we start to do that with things like um, bridges or shoulder presses, depending on what your sport is or what you're trying to get back to and seeing if we have any symptoms. And then we start to do um, things like... Um, squats to calf raises with high velocity, but not actually jumping. And mm-hmm. then if we're not having symptoms, then we work to jumping. And then like, you might be getting somebody to do an overhead snatch from that, or we might be doing just like jogging on the spot and seeing how the symptoms are going. But it's sort of like a graded exposure to work yourself back up to whatever the sport is or activity that you're trying to get back to. Totally. Um, I know the most, uh, I guess the closest that most of the people that I know other than motherhood is just deadlifting. Um, having that brace and then lifting from the ground. So you're loaded. Um, Do you have any like tips and tricks maybe for anyone that's bracing or is this, would that be more person specific? Um, And it definitely is person specific to a certain point. However, um, one of the things that I find really helpful in that specific situation, and this I've learned from a physio named Anthony Lowe. So I can't say this is my like original work, but um, he teaches the bottom up brace. So when we think about the core in general, uh, again, athletes generally know this, but our core is not just our six-pack muscles. Um, It's more of a cylinder. And we've got our breathing diaphragm on top, our pelvic floor is the bottom, and then our uh, more traditional abdominal muscles and our extensors on our back are the surrounding pieces. And ideally, we want all those things working together at the same time to create a nice good brace. And most people, when they do a brace, especially when they're lifting really heavy, they'll take a nice big inhale, and then they'll hold their breath at the top. And so generally it's a nice tight seal when you're doing that Valsalva maneuver, but depending on where your pelvic floor is at during that movement, and if you have any vulnerabilities there, that's putting a lot of pressure on that. And so oftentimes that pressure mismanagement is part of what allows leakage to occur at that time. So, and depending on somebody, if they want to compete in powerlifting and they want to reach these awesome PRs and they're okay with maybe some leakage on comp day, everybody's Mm -hmm. acceptance or tolerance of these symptoms might be different, but generally we'll talk through a bottom up brace where we'll learn engaging the pelvic floor, then our abs and actually exhaling on the lift portion of the movement to allow the pressure to come up and out. And then for some people that brace just isn't effective enough to be able to meet those goals. And so we might just choose our times where we actually do that full Valsalva but sometimes even doing that bottom up brace for a certain amount of time, depending, especially if they've had any challenge to their pelvic floor, like a pregnancy or a birth, sometimes it just takes a certain amount of time and healing and space from the event where they'll be able to be comfortable with that Valsalva again. 
Okay. So essentially what you're saying is that just during competition, they may revert back to that higher pressured brace, but then using the bottom up for training, et cetera, um, would be beneficial to help with just the leakage side of things. It's definitely something to try. And like I said, I try not to tell people that they have to do anything a certain way forever. Yeah. We ideally want to be able to get them back to what they really enjoy doing um, as close as we could to, to what they used to do. Yeah. Um, so for some people, they'll always have to bottom up brace and they're okay with that. And for some people, they're like, I just really lack a certain amount of power at the end of what I need to do. And I'd like to be able to brace. And so we kind of assess what the biomechanics look like at that point. And then we have that discussion about symptom management and what the goals are. And then we try to meet in the middle about what they would like um, at the end. I guess another question that I get asked quite frequently is just like with pregnancy, um, during especially people that are more sport oriented or active um they have their pregnancy they know how long that is and they expect for their activity to either stay what it is or a little bit lower but typically they want to stay active during that how long after pregnancy on average do people typically uh come back to their sport um i know it is person specific but um just in your experience working with people and I'm sure they come back a lot faster seeing a professional like yourself. Yeah, I mean, I like to think so, but um I say there's a couple things that we look at. So generally I give people before they give birth, if I'm seeing them through their whole journey, I'll give them kind of some stuff that if they feel up to it and they'd like to, um, some stuff that they can do in the first few weeks postpartum. And then they'll come back to me at about after their six week clearance from the doctor, which is another um just sort of thing that I'd like people to be educated on is that generally when they go to that six week clearance, they're looking to see that um, everything is healing correctly. The uterus is going back to the correct size. Um, but a lot of people don't get a really significant assessment at that point. So when people say like, you're all clear to go back to all of your stuff, um, it's not necessarily the greatest advice depending on how somebody's doing. But I'd say um, usually at that six week point, we assess where somebody's at and we start getting them to do some of that foundational stuff and some, um, low level core engagement at that point. And basically throughout everybody's journey, whether it's in pregnancy or postpartum, we, I tell everybody to watch for the five P's. You should never be peeing or pooping when you're not intending to, you shouldn't be having pain. You shouldn't have pressure or feel like there's heaviness or bulging in the pelvic floor and you shouldn't be popping. And what I mean by that is that you shouldn't see like, um, any coning or doming along the center of your abdomen, because that would indicate that we're mismanaging our pressure. And so as we're going through this, it'll look different for everybody, but that's a pretty good set of guidelines that like you shouldn't be experiencing any of those during your movements. And that might be indicating that we're pushing a little bit further than we should be at that point. Um, and so then the research is showing now that people who wait until about three months before returning to higher impact stuff like um, long runs or heavier weightlifting actually tend to have better long-term recovery. And there's a really interesting sort of um, relationship between how we recover from birth in the immediate postpartum season and how we fare when we reach menopause and have that next series of hormonal changes. And so a lot of people, if you're really athletic, they can kind of like muscle through some stuff early postpartum. But generally I give people that advice and we kind of see again, what their goals are, what they're really excited about, if they're really bored with their movement. And we yeah. try to like, get them as stimulated and 
enjoying movement as best as we can while yes. taking things a little bit easier in that three month period. And then from there, when we start grading it back up. And so depending on the person and the sport, I'd say sort of in that three to five month period is where people are sort of ramping back up. And then it's pretty person and sport specific from there. Gotcha. That's kind of, I think, a good expectation for people to just have in the back of their minds, because I know there are a lot of people that just want to get right back into it right away. Um, can you talk a little bit back on that study you said, um, or the research that you were speaking about where th- uh, you said three months, waiting three months would um, help with menopause later on. Um, in what regard? And so they're finding that people who wait until about the three month mark mm-hmm. um, before returning to higher impact tend to, and there's also like this study is excellent. They also have sort of a protocol that they want people to be reaching before actually returning to it. So there's things like you should be able to like run on the spot for one minute before, like, and without leakage or without symptoms, you should be able to do like um, 10 single leg squats, like to a bench, maybe not like a pistol squat. Yeah. Um, like there's a whole bunch of things that they want people to be able to do without symptoms and also have reached that three month mark. So like we can be working on all of those things up to three months before starting running and they find that people tend to have less symptoms like um leakage and pelvic pain directly postpartum but also when we come to that menopause uh season where we have that big hormonal change that also causes quite a bit of pelvic floor flux and so they're finding that people who waited that period before jumping right back into heavy impact are also having less likelihood of having some of those symptoms Okay, so just a less change, um, less of a change or less of a differ from baseline, essentially, in their pelvic floor. Yeah, yeah, and less symptoms overall. Um, all of that was so informative, and there's so much in that uh, that we could talk about. Um, but I think a lot of it is person to person specific. And so I think just coming back to um, getting a professional that can go through your entire journey and knows your baseline and is able to help you assess maybe whether you have a really tight pelvic floor initially, which it sounds like is a common problem for people that aren't getting assessed um, before pregnancy. And then having someone that can see that baseline throughout your pregnancy will really allow you to build kind of a treatment plan that will able to uh, allow you to get back to your sport faster. Yeah. And I say that's my favorite thing to work with are people who I work with through the whole spectrum. And I get a lot of people who say like, when should I go for pelvic floor if I'm having a baby. And yeah. I'd say like anytime it's never too late. I see people who are giving birth next week and we can go over some birth prep stuff and some postpartum recovery stuff. But definitely like if, if somebody's really um, passionate about sport, I'd say like the sooner, the better. <laughs> um, do you want to just touch a little bit on optimized physio and sport clinic and just tell me what you guys are all about, maybe just outside of the pelvic floor stuff? Yeah, so we're located on the West End and we recently, about a year ago, moved into a big, nice space that's got a huge gym in the back. And um, I love our space because generally we happen to see a lot of people who lift heavy weights or have high um, sporting goals. And we have the space and the capacity to actually take people through and actually look at what they're... um, biomechanics look like with a barbell on their back or actually sport um, specific movement. Yeah, exactly. Which like as a student, sometimes you go to a physio clinic and like the highest amount of weight they'd have would be a 15 pound dumbbell. And so it's really fun um, 
to, to work at a place where it really prioritizes um, being able to actually see what people are doing and get them back to that high level of athletics. It sounds like a fun, fun demographic as well, because there Super are fun. Yeah, yeah, quite a few demographics you can work with in physio, not that any of them are bad, but it is mm-hmm. kind of a nice niche to be in as well with the sporting side of things. Um, what other treatments do you guys offer there? Treatments and so, a plan for rehab or what people traditionally associate with physios? Yeah. So like on the physio side of things, um, like I dry needle, um, I'm taking a concussion course, but we've got a vestibular specialist. A lot of people don't know that physios can be trained in dizziness. Um, we also have massage therapists and a chiropractor at our, um, at our center. And so we have a lot of different providers who work under one roof. And so we're really excited about treating together, which is always really fun and nice to have sort of that holistic team behind you, not only who can kind of talk between each other to give you the best um, care possible, but sometimes you can even walk from one appointment with somebody to another, which is always great and convenient. Yes, totally. It's nice to have different feedback in healthcare, right? And um, I really resonated with beginning when you said you really enjoyed spending a lot of time with people because I think our healthcare system right now um, if you don't have a disease or if you're um, in general healthy but you have some concerns there's really not a lot of time for you within our healthcare system so it's very cool that you guys are touching on that aspect of it right like bettering your life as opposed to just um, curing anything that maybe is ailing you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that movement in general, we take for granted um, what a gift it is to be able to move pain free. Mm-hmm. And then something happens even in the gym where say you strain your shoulder and you realize like you didn't know how much your shoulder's doing for you in just like reaching up to put the plates in the cupboard after you've washed them um, until like you might've strained it lifting hundreds of pounds over your head. Yes. Um, but yes, it really is such a gift. <laughs> Yeah. And you probably see that a lot just with people that are injuring themselves and they're seeing what it's like without having that aspect of their life. It's probably really resonant to you because you enjoy sport and movement. Oh, absolutely. I think that's pretty much all I have for you uh, today, unless there's anything you wanted to add in. It's been super informative and absolutely delightful to connect with you, just especially regarding the pelvic floor health, because I think it's such a really uh, cool niche that not a lot of people know about and bringing awareness to it, I think is just fantastic, especially just seeing how many people that I know are moms that work as firefighters or uh, moms that are trying to get back into sporting things. And it is a really big struggle. So kudos to you for spreading the word on that. Um, Is there anything you wanted to add just at the end here? Um, I guess I did say that it's never too early to start public floor physio, but it's also never too late. Um, oftentimes when we think about being postpartum, we think about maybe the first year after having a child, but generally like once you've had a child, those changes can continue to affect us down the lifespan. So it's never too late. Also, even if you've had leakage for 40 years, it's still worth getting an assessment if it's something that you're interested in changing. And we see a lot of people who've had symptoms for a very long time who can make a difference with. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I'll definitely put uh, your contact information, your optimized physio uh, clinic Instagram and everything just in the notes so that people can get a hold of you. Um, I absolutely love that because I know there's lots of uh, women that have had symptoms for a while and that would just be life changing for them, even just with everyday movements, not necessarily sporting. So I do absolutely. appreciate that. Um 
And I think that's all we have for tonight. Thank you so much. And that wraps up another episode of the 8020 podcast. A huge thank you to our incredible guests who bring the expertise and insights to the table every time. They're the real MVPs of the 8020 podcast. If you loved what you heard today, hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And hey, if you have any burning questions or topics you'd like us to cover, please reach out. Remember, health and fitness are journeys, not destinations. So whether you're hitting the gym, going for a run, or just taking a moment to stretch, keep that 80-20 balance in mind. As we sign off, stay fit, stay focused, and keep that smile on your face. This is Coach Haley signing out from the 80-20 Podcast. Until next time.